Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers, to those of you who will be fathers this year for the very first time. And uh, what a great day. We truly have an understanding biblically of what this day is all about. And I want to just take a few minutes here to see if I could give you a biblical perspective on Father's Day. I want to orient you away from the pandemic that we find ourselves in, the unrest in which we find ourselves in the midst of. And I want to direct our attention here to the Word of God, to the Father's sacred mandate that's found in Scripture. Just a few weeks ago, we had a, a wonderful, exciting day for my family, my daughter, uh, Lindsay and Bo were, were married, and we were excited about that day nearly five weeks ago. And then on the night of the rehearsal dinner, we were so excited to find out that our daughter, Alyssa, and her husband, uh, Jason Bolt, are expecting their very first child. And so we're, we're thrilled about that news. That will be our fifth grandchild. Alyssa and Jason are having a boy. And the, the question that's going on in our family, because his last name is Bolt, and he's a boy, the question is coming up, you know, amongst each other is, should they name his middle name Lightning? So uh, you can see him. They're here. They're back over there today. You can let them know if that's a good idea, if his middle name would be Lightning, and then he would be Lightning Bolt. But seriously, as I pray for Jason and Alyssa and their new baby later this year, I was thinking this week, what would I say to Jason as a new father? And the question kept coming back in my mind is what must a father be? I remember spending some time with one of my son-in-laws before he dated my daughter. And before he dated my daughter, I went through a little book with him. And the book was by Vodi Bakum. And the title of that book was What He Must Be. And then the subtitle was So You Want to Marry My Daughter. And so we spent about eight months going over that work, which is just a, a tool on the uh, man's mandate from the Word of God. But again, here for this day and this week, what must a father be biblically? And I, I want to exhort you fathers to be the man that I described this morning in the Word of God. Be this kind of father. I want to exhort you to find your fulfillment in this man. If you're a single woman this morning, then I would say marry this kind of man that I describe. Single men, I would exhort you to be this man now. If you're a father here, then covenant with me to be this man. So this comes from my heart. It comes to you from the word of God. It is a description of the godly man. It is a description of a godly father. 
And I just want to draw our attention to two principles here. One of those principles comes from the Old Testament, and one of those principles comes from the New Testament. But first from the Old Testament, fathers, you must be a man that fears God. You must be a man that fears God. I wanted to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. You say, what's going on in Deuteronomy? Well, remember the law was spoken and given in Exodus chapter 20. But the Israelite uh, and the Israelites, the nation of Israel, rebelled. And remember, because of their rebellion, that entire generation would die off. And here, after they're wandering for 40 years, a new generation is ready to enter into the land. Now, of course, you're familiar, are you not, with Moses? Moses, at the point of this writing, is about 120 years old. He is just weeks away from his death. And he writes here the book of Deuteronomy to this incoming generation and what they need to be and what they need to do. And one of the things that he crystallizes, it's not the only thing, but a major one is that this nation and this generation that's coming in needed to fear God. Fear God. And so I want to just take you through, if you look over to Deuteronomy chapter 4, a couple of the scriptures that are cited there as my exhortation to you on Father's Day and really to all believers. But look at chapter 4, verse 1, and just listen to the Word of God. And as you listen to the Word of God, you're asking, what is the fear of God? And obviously, we sang one of the songs here that said, fear is taken away. And of course, that's the fear of judgment. But there is, as Matt said, a proper fear of God. And as you listen to these descriptions, I want to ask you to define what Moses said was the fear of God. I think it's going to come out. And then as you see that definition of the fear of God, I want you to not be set back by it as though God's robbing you of your joy. No, just the opposite. Watch for the blessing that comes out to the person, to the man, and here to the father who fears God. Look at Deuteronomy 4.1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, that the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command, nor take away from it, but that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Glance down at verse 9. Listen to the passion of his heart. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me in 410. And that, that, that I may let them hear my words 
And here it is. So that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. I love that little line at the end of verse 10. That they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth that they may teach their children. Fathers, you are to fear God and you are to teach your children. Look over in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. It says in 5.1, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statues and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Look down in verse 28 of chapter 5. And the Lord heard your words. It was their response. When you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always. Here it is again. To fear me. And watch how that's described. And to keep all my commandments, verse 29, that it may go well with them. In other words, fathers, if you want your family to go well, if you're a single woman or a single man and that's what you desire to go forward, then the command from Moses to us is to fear God and keep all of His commandments that it might go well with them. Look at 29. And with their descendants forever. If you want your family to be blessed, fear God. Fear me, Moses says, and keep His commandments. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, a chapter no doubt that you're familiar with. 6.1, this is the commandments, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses is saying, to teach you. Now watch this. That you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. Here it is again in 6.2. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your sons and your son's son. You say, what does it mean to fear God? Look at 6.2. By keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. Here's why. That your days may be long. In other words, fathers, he wants to bless your family and bless my family. And one of the ways that you succeed in seeing a generation and fruitfulness there is to fear God. Glance down in chapter 6. Look, verse, look at verse 12. Take care, it's a warning in 6.12. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord God you shall Fear Him. You shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. In other words, young men, this is a command. Fathers, this is a command. It is the Lord God you shall fear. If you will, look at 6.24. And the Lord commanded us to do, in other words, to obey all these statutes, to fear the Lord your God, Look at this line, underlined it in 624, for our good always. In other words, the Lord's commanding you as Moses was 120 years old and as they're about ready to enter into the land, he says, I want you to fear God and it's for your good always. 
Look what it says in 24, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Look over at chapter 8. Chapter 8 in verse 6. There again, he's telling him to remember the Lord your God. He says in 8.6, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. And so again, you can see the link there between the fear of God and keeping His commandments and walking in His way. Look over at chapter 10 in verse 1. At that time in 10.1, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Remember, he did that. And he, as they came, he came down from the mountain, he threw those tablets because of the rebellion of the nation. So he tells them, cut those tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain. Make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words which are on the first tablets that you broke. And you shall put them in the ark. Look at chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Here it is again. But to fear the Lord your God. Look how it's described, it's described from that. To walk in all His ways. To love Him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today. And then look at the last line of verse 13. For your good. And so there's a description. In fact, look at chapter 10, down in verse 20. He says again, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name, you shall, shall, uh, it says there, swear. In other words, you keep your covenant by Him. He is the only true God. It says the same in in extent in 13.4 to fear Him and keep His commandments. You say, well, very well. Well, what does it mean to, to fear God? Well, uh, obviously that's a word in the, in the Hebrew. And it means a couple of things as you kind of tease out that word. It means to fear. It means to be afraid is just the thought. It, it means that. But for the believer, we're not fearful of his judgment. And when you see those exhortations for us to fear, it means to stand in awe of God. That's what it means. It means you're awed by the person of God. In other words, there's a positive nature to this fear, not one of dread of judgment, but being awed, if you will, in the character and the presence of God. It's what I call a godly fear. It means, fathers, out of all your duties, as you raise your children, is to instill in your own heart and in the life of your children a fear, but let me say it this way, a reverence, a honor, a respect for the person and worth and character and beauty and majesty of who God is. You are commanded to, in your life with your family, to instill that in them. Let me put it this way. Godly fear is a total allegiance to the one true God and his word. I mean, there's a lot of things that a father is. 
There's a lot of things that a father is to be. But make sure, fathers, in your own heart, in my own heart, there is a total allegiance to the one true God and His Word. Maybe if I could help you just see it, there's always a phrase that has been helpful to me over the years, and it came from a Puritan, and it was on the fear of God. I think it was John Brown, but he said, here's what the fear of God is, is that when His smile, God's, is your greatest delight, and His frown, your greatest distress. In other words, you begin to have a proper understanding of His character, of His holiness, of His beauty, of His love, of His compassion, of His glory, of His forgiveness, of His holiness, and all those attributes. And your greatest delight is His smile upon your life. Your greatest distress is his frown. And, his, and it would be that would be the thought. So fathers, listen. Raising children in the fear of God. In fact, it says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fathers, let me just say directly to you. That the fear of God, obviously, is more important than sports. It's more important than hunting. It's more important than hunting gear. It's more important than degrees, academic degrees. It's more important than business success. It's more important than vacations, although those things are nice and helpful. It's more important than technological toys. It's more important than clothes. It's more important than retirement. It's more important than your house. It's more important than your home business. Listen, there's a lot of things that you and I can do. But whatever you do, you need to fear God in your own heart. And you need to teach your children to fear God. In fact, in this sense... Fear, the fear of God is more important than your blood family. Though your family is crucial, you have got to have such a fear of God that His smile is your greatest delight and His frown is your greatest distress. You know, there's a text in, in the New Testament, even in Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 10, where it says, do not, you know this one, do not fear the one who can kill the body, Jesus said. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. In other words, fear the one who's a consuming fire. Fear the one in the unbelieving world who will judge the world. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking this week as I thought about that phrase, fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell many years ago. As Patty and I were raising our wonderful family and our wonderful kids, one of my sons, I have five daughters, two sons. I won't mention who that was, but Johnny, it was Johnny. He was, he was in first grade and a note came home from the teacher. I think her name was Mrs. Dolgen. And they said, I would like to request a meeting with you over some words that Johnny has used in the classroom. 
And I thought to Patty, I thought, wow, he's in first grade. What kind of word did he say or what kind of word did he write down? So Patty and I, after school, went into her office and she was really sweet. She said, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Artavanis, there's some words that we, we don't use here and that your son is using in the classroom. And so it was one of those descriptions of a teacher in first grade saying, write down all the words that you know. And Johnny wrote a word down that didn't cut the political correctness and she showed it to me. She slid the paper, I believe, across the table and Johnny wrote down the word hell. <laughs> He wrote down the word hell. And I thought, is that a, that's, a, that's a good word, isn't it? I mean, a good word, it's an awful reality, but it's a biblical word that, of course, when you fathers are raising your children, how would you ever tell them about the gospel without the thought of coming judgment? And I thanked her, and uh, she probably knew I was a pastor. And, of course, I got back home with Johnny, and I gave him a fist bump that he knew something from the Bible. He knew a biblical word from the Bible, and so he was corrected on writing words that are appropriate. Listen, I want to just tell you, we read it early. You say, well, Scott, what, what's, the, what, what's the blessing? What's the fruit? You, hey, God's a killjoy in the, No, he did this for their good in Deuteronomy. But here's what the psalmist said. You can look at it on your own in 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So there's a, a blessing put to, out to all of you. A blessed, it says, is everyone who fears the Lord, who, and then it defines it, who walks in his ways. And that one who fears the Lord, walks in his ways, say, says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. There's fruitfulness. You, the Bible says, shall be blessed it shall be well with you. And the Bible says that your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Listen, there's a blessing attached to, to that. There's a fruitfulness of your wife. She'll be, as it says there, like a fruitful vine. Your children will bear fruit. They'll be like olive branches. And primarily here, it says everyone whose fear of the Lord shall be blessed. But here, more specifically, to a father. Listen, this is what Ecclesiastes says in 12.13, that the end of the matter, when all has been heard, is fear God and what? Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So fathers, listen. On this Father's Day, you fear God. You must be a man that fears God. You must be a man earlier in Deuteronomy that teaches your children to reverence God, to be in awe of God, to teach them his character, his attributes, his perfections. Know those perfections. Know his character. Walk in his ways. Obey his commandments. You say, well, Scott, how does that happen? Well, it incurs and it happens through instruction, through teaching, 
It happens through modeling of living those truths out. It happens through discipleship. It happens by giving your children a love for the local church. I can't wait till we get in Ephesians. I'm glad to see you spread out here. I'm glad that we can worship together. But we're a body of believers and the church has been put together, if you will, so that we can walk and have accountability. So you must be a man that fears God. Secondly, and from the New Testament, you must be a man that loves Christ. Look over to the book of, of Ephesians just for a moment. You must be a man that loves Jesus Christ. Now, as you look over into the book of Ephesians, I'm so excited when we, when we get there. But Ephesians, Paul's launching into a prayer, and I just want you to get this. Here is his prayer. Here is his instruction for us. After getting through the great realities and glories of our position in Christ, being called by the Father, being redeemed by the Son, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then explaining the mystery of the gospel in chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so he's praying from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, that, you would be, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, watch this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now just for a moment, what is as it explains there in verse 18, as it states, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? What, what is he talking about? The breadth and length and height and depth of what? And the commentators seem, many of them, to offer different solutions. It's actually left unnamed in the sentence. And so some say that what he's referring to is what he's been speaking about in chapter 3. It's the, it's the church to know something of the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of, of the church, of what he did to put that together. Other people would see it a little broader. They would think that it speaks of redemption, of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the prayer here is that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of redemption? Other people say it's the mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think the context is the key. And that's going to define it. Look at verse 17. He says there that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then in verse 19, he says to know the love of Christ. What he's praying about here, beloved, and don't miss this. He's praying that we, that fathers, that the church would understand something of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth described by the greatness of Christ's love for 
us. That's the, not our love for Christ, although that's going to be stated in other places. But the greatness, the magnitude, the glory of Christ's love for us. Listen, fathers, you have many duties and I have many duties. But one of them, and it has to be worked in your heart, is that you and I have to be stunned by how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And when you become enamored and you see the awesomeness of how much Jesus Christ loves you internally, then it will transform your life in chapters 4 through 6. See, I think here, just the principle, and for fathers today, is your life, my life will never be transformed until you're transformed on the inside out. Not directly how much you love Christ, but how much He loves you. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that you would understand something of the height. Something of the breadth, something of the length, if you will, something of the depth of how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. Look just for a moment in John chapter 13. Do you remember when we touched on that? John chapter 13, look over there. There's a few statements in there that are just so powerful. In John 13, remember as he was before the feast of Passover when Jesus knew, 13.1, that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Watch this phrase. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved them, if you will, to the max. Listen, fathers. You'll never love the Lord Jesus Christ with the desire that you truly want to until you get to glory. I mean, that is an ever-increasing thought to excel still more of our love for Him. But let me just share this with you today. There's an ingredient in a father that he passes on to his children. One of them is the fear of God. And secondly, is a greatness and an increasing understanding of how much Christ loves us. He loved them to the very end. Look at John 13, 34. You know this one. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Here's the phrase. Just as I have loved you. Listen, fathers, as you begin to see the greatness of the love of Christ for you, you say, but Scott, I'm a sinner. I know, but Christ loves you. As you begin to understand something of the nature of what he did for you, his glory on the cross, his power of the resurrection, it will transform your life. He says in 1334, as I have loved you, look, look at, if you will, at chapter 14, verse 21 of John. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me, watch this in 1421, will be loved by my father. And it says there, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you remember, beloved, and certainly you do, you probably don't even have to look at the verse and I won't put it up, but remember when Paul's going through the greatness of our salvation 
And he says, and you finish the sentence, who shall separate us from the what? From the love of Christ. And I guarantee you that most of you, even when I read it, you think he's describing your love for Christ. Who shall separate me, if you will, from my love of Christ? But that's not what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus towards you? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? No, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who, what? Who loved us. Listen, there's no way you could raise your children unless you're walking in the fear of God and unless you're understanding and stunned and amazed at the love of Jesus Christ for you. What's amazing here is we know that Paul wrote this in Ephesians under the inspiration of the Spirit, but we also know that Paul wrote in Philippians that I may know him, that I may know him. And so here... He wants us to know the love of Christ for us in Ephesians, then returns that exhortation in his own prayer to love him more. Listen, that was Paul's ultimate goal in Philippians 3.10, conformity to Christ. Listen, it's more important than movies. I mean, come on. It's more important than Star Wars. It's more important than Netflix. It's more important than video games. It's more important than cars. Your goal, fathers, is to become like the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him. So you must be a man that fears God and you must be a man that understands Christ's love for us. I just want to know, who's with me this morning? I, I mean, what, what father wants to say, that's going to be my stake in the ground? In fact, maybe you'd say, gosh, Scott, I've gotten a little comfortable. Well, then put a stake in the ground and declare to be that man. You say, well, Scott, I'm in my 50s or I'm in my 60s or I'm in my 70s. Be that man today. Be that man that fears God and understands his love. You know, I used to sing a song. I think it's true then. Many years ago, 30 years ago, it's true today. I'd rather have Jesus, you probably know it, than silver or gold I'd rather be his than have riches untold. Do you believe that? I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. I mean, if you think this virus in the midst of what we're in is tough, keep reading your Bible. It's going to take men of courage and men of strength. It says, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be a king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Determined to be that man. Would you bow your head with me?